today on Ag News Daily. With the financial crisis in that um, a lot of bankers were telling their farmers to consider uh, pulling back on their feed inventories. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Delaney Howell, of course, joined by our summer intern, Madison Honkamp, and my great co-host, Mike Pearson. Guys, what do you know today? Nothing. That's it? (laughs) That's all you got for us today? I got nothing. I know nothing. I see nothing. I hear nothing. That's how I roll. Okay, well, there's not really a whole lot going on in the news today either, so it's just kind of a blah day all around, according to you, Mike. Well, you know, it it is kind of a blah day, but I'll tell you what, there is uh, rainfall again moving across much of the Corn Belt, walked across Iowa. We will have an interview later on with Daniel Olson from Forage Innovations, talks about the rain coming in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I'm I'm ready for summer to actually get here i love to boat and i love to sail but i do not want to build an ark (laughs) well hopefully we don't we're not coming to that i hope right right i hope not either i mean how would you pick just to you know a cow and a bull to get on the ark i I want to bring the whole herd you know do you you don't have like a favorite you wouldn't have a favorite animal because i definitely think i would all god's creatures are delicious delaney well, yeah, but I especially like heifers or cows. There's usually one that you just want to, like, beat with a stick because she's a bee with a itch. Well, I'll tell you what, Delaney, that would get you featured on a video that is <laughs> similar to the one that is currently causing yeah. a lot of trouble for uh, fair life. Yeah, we really haven't uh, addressed that yet. I've kind of been avoiding it like the uh, Iron Plague, but I suppose we should talk about that. You're talking, of course, about the fair view Oaks Farm video. Yes, I am produced yeah. by Arm Animal Rights Movement. I think is Animal their Rescue. name. Animal Rescue. Oh, I thought it was the ARL, the Animal Rescue. No, no, no. It's ARM. They oh, are vegan okay. crackpots. <laughs> that's a good no, They are. They are. Well, I mean, okay. that's, and I, I say that with no disrespect. I think they would fully embrace that huh. phrase. They are vegans who are actively advocating for the end of animal agriculture. So. Yeah, my I had a friend over last night. We were watching a movie, but she's uh, involved in production agriculture, going to school for that. But we were talking about it last night because we both took the time to watch the whatever 10, 12 minute video that it is. Let's bring it. Let's bring our listeners up to speed in yeah. case they haven't seen it. Fair, fair. What's fair, fair Oaks? Fair View or Fair Oaks? Yeah, Fair, fair Oaks. Oaks Farm. I'm pretty sure I've toured their farms before, too. I bet you have over in Indiana. Yes, because in, uh, I think Fairview, Indiana. I think we went and toured it one year for uh, when we had national FFA convention out there in Indianapolis. I think we went and toured their farm as like sure. an additional tour. But essentially, the video is a lot of, and I'm not trying to be racist because my hometown was a lot of Hispanic people. But the video highlights mostly Hispanic workers. And in some instances, yes, I would say that they're probably being a little rough on the baby calves. But in others, like branding and castration, like that's just how it is. I don't know what these people expect. Well, they expect the end of animal agriculture. And it's tough for folks who are outside the world of production ag to look at castration or it, in my instance, dehorning is Mm -hmm. an example of a thing that, that takes place on my farm that I, 
I have a hard time watching. You know, I think yeah. it's one of those things that as an industry, we've been striving to address animal health and animal husbandry concerns for quite some time. And we've done a great job, but there are still things that look certainly sketchy to outside yeah. viewers. But mm-hmm. in the video, yes, basically these employees and one scene they're they're doing drugs, I think sniffing cocaine mm-hmm. or some other drug. They're they're kicking calves. They're throwing calves into hutches. That's the part that uh, made me like wince a little was when they're throwing the baby calves literally like throwing them with force right. into the calf huts like we use yeah not huts. just like pushing them yeah right like there is definitely a difference and so i guess the reason i said they were hispanic was i was thinking maybe there was some sort of like translation issue maybe they didn't understand things how we do them in so, the u.s i don't know i was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt but i know they issued a statement saying all of those employees were fired and, and now fired, I believe three of them were fired months ago. Yeah. Like long before the video well, came yeah. out, they were reported as abusing I, their animals. Yes. And they were canned. And one of them had gotten by, no, hadn't been reported until after the video came mm-hmm. out. And McCloskey, the owner of uh, Fair Oaks Dairy, Fair Oaks Dairy, producers of Fair Life Milk, said, look, if they had turned over this footage or if they had said these employees are harming animals we canned all these people months and months ago because the video was shot last summer mm-hmm. you know they've had this footage for so long this is why the whole well they had to put know, in the narration and everything i mean if there's a, yeah. an active narrator the whole time giving us his perspective of what's happening yeah anyway so the, the reason i wanted to bring that up is because the Charges have now mm-hmm. been filed against three of yeah. those former workers for Fairview Dairy. The uh, the Fairlife people turned over their names and all their information to the Newton County Sheriff's Department there in Newton County, Indiana. And charges have now been filed um, as a misdemeanor for animal mm-hmm. abuse. So it to me so. And I'm gonna, I'm biased on this issue. I can think of things I've done on my operation where if somebody got it on film and sent it out to people that didn't understand animal agriculture, I would certainly look like a villain. You know, there are times that, God, I hate to admit it, but I get exasperated with cattle and I do things that I regret later. I'll be the first to raise my hand in the air and say that has happened to me. Um, so I, you know, I feel like the Fairlife brand is, is getting tarnished here. So for the first time in my life, I went out and bought two gallons or two whatever things of Fairlife milk, one chocolate, wow. one whole milk, because that's the only milk anybody <laughs> needs to be drinking, frankly. And, um, I, you know, try to show my support because mm-hmm. this could have happened to, I'm not going to say anyone in animal agriculture. I think there are people who legitimately work day in and day out tirelessly to do the right thing. But there are things that can be skewed in our industry that would certainly look shady if taken out of context and put on film. And uh, I don't I know. Think it's, I've I seen, think they're doing the right thing by yeah. turning it in for criminal prosecution yeah. if such a thing is warranted. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen even stores – I mean, obviously people are boycotting it, but I think I've seen even stores and like gas stations and stuff not purposely not selling that milk. Sure. I mean, why would you want to carry something that's such a lightning rod for controversy? So my hats off to Walmart, which is where I bought my Fairlife milk, still stocked, still sitting in the front of the cooler. And I tell you what, listeners, if you're in animal ag, if you can emphasize with with these folks at all, I know they're a a mega corporation owned by Coca-Cola, a little different story than a lot of others of us in this industry. But, um, you know, I, I just hate to see that 
something like this painting our whole industry in a bad light. And if they're successful in taking down fair life, that's only going to encourage these vegan activists to be more aggressive in the future. So I lent them my whatever, eight dollars of support. And I, I hope some of our listeners choose to do so as well if they uh, if they agree with me on this thing. Yeah, definitely. It's been quite mm-hmm. the issue. That's for sure. It has. It has. And I've had yeah. conversations with a, with a really good friend of mine about it who just um, refuses to buy their product from now on after she saw the video. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It takes all different kinds. But that's our synopsis there of that story. What, yeah. what, what news do we have, <laughs> I suppose? Well, that is technically news. But uh, I it want is. to Absolutely. address President Trump's visit to Iowa and Council Bluffs, Des Moines, Iowa, yesterday. He returned there for the first time. I didn't realize this. This was his first trip back to the state of Iowa since before the 2018 midterm election. Mm. And we did see him that one time. You and I went to the rally there. Where was was that in Council? That, that was in Council Bluffs. That's Iowa. Yeah. Okay. So come on, article. news media. Yeah. Well, whatever. More hashtag Anyways. fake news, Delaney. <laughs> Um, he spent a lot of his time focusing on remarks to talk about the trade, uh, trade stances, the ethanol and E15, where that sits you around. Of course, he took time to bash on Democrats, specifically former Vice President Joe Biden, who's also in Iowa today or this week as part of his campaigning. But he did make an interesting statement I wanted to share with our listeners. He said, quote, within a year and a half, I would say you'll be in the best position you've been in in 15 years as farmers, and you deserve it. He said, under my administration, we will always protect and defend our great American patriot farmer, always. So it sounds like that's, he really... That's going out on quite a limb, Mr. Mm-hmm. President. I know. 2012 was, uh, was quite a good time for a lot of folks in production agriculture, He's going to make us better than we were in 2012, 2013. Is that what he said? That's a hell of a campaign promise. Better than you've been in the past 15 years. Right. Yeah. Right. I feel like that that was not uh, fact-checked before we went out there and talked, because (laughs) that is quite a tough row to hoe, I'm afraid. Well, he did make that promise. I'm sure the audience members loved it, especially the farmers in the the audience. But uh, there's still, you know, some debate about, okay, we've given President Trump our good graces for so long. How much longer are we going to continue to essentially put up with some of this stuff? Right. And legit question, I think. Yeah. It's the big question, I think, still. But Well, it will be decided during the 2020 presidential election, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yes. He also did kind of touch on biotech approvals, specifically things like cell cultured meat, etc. And he talked about how he's looking at ordering his administration to look at ways to basically streamline the regulation of agricultural biotechnology. But apparently an executive order released by the White House on Tuesday evening um, steers clear of telling agencies how to change their regulatory process. Essentially, it sounds like it was some sort of executive order to say, okay, do this, but it didn't really explain how to do it. Okay. Well, that's a step in the right direction. At least I'll, I'll give President Trump credit where credit is due. If we can streamline that process, I saw our friend Dr. Allison Van Inanim, in, 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 and I Inanim, apologize, yeah. uh, Dr. E, um, 
that uh, she was excited. She was enthusiastic about this change. It, it certainly sounds as though it's paving the way for some of her work to become a little bit more mainstream. So mm-hmm. that's great news. It is great news. I want to pick up and uh, follow up with another Trump-related story. Yesterday, President Trump treated, tweeted that it is wonderful that we have such low inflation. So I wanted to build on that story a little bit. Consumer prices barely rose in May, which means that we are seeing moderate inflation. And there's still concern that the economy might slow, which means, Delaney, what's the Federal Reserve more likely to do? Lower inflation or interest Exactly. Cut interest rates. Um, so the report was out this morning from the Labor Department uh, showing uh, strong hiring. They believe that there is perhaps some longer term structural issues behind the weak inflation readings. One of the things that that rose and uh, Delaney, you travel a lot. So this mm-hmm. might be news to you was airline fares mm. jumped. Don't love um, that. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that stayed relatively affordable, actually didn't move at all, was clothing prices. So these, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag of stuff. But they say that with the backdrop of rising trade tensions, and they point specifically at China, um, we could see the overall economy slow down, and we could see at least two rate cuts by the end of 2019. We're not expecting one during after the FOMEC meeting next Wednesday. These would come later in the year, third and fourth quarter, most likely. Okay. Well, those will be something to watch and see. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Madison, Madison Honkamp, what news do you have for us? <laughs> I just have a quick article from reported by Reuters out of North Korea. I know we've been talking about African swine fever a lot, um, kind of almost like beating a dead horse at this point. Um, yeah, big. And, um, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, with China and everything, we've kind of been hearing that they're learning to live with the disease. They're not really trying to fix it that much. But North Korea is saying they are really working hard to prevent any more spreading of the disease. They are upping their biosecurity upping, um, you know, just different health um, processes that they're doing with their pigs. And even though they are not a huge um, pork industry in North Korea, they do mostly raise um, chicken, ducks, and rabbits. But they are still kind of, they are really taking the step to get rid of this disease. Well, yeah, I bet. I mean, they've got six hogs. You know, they can't have all six of them going down. <laughs> oh, geez, Mike. Well, and I, you know, I say that in jest, but the famine in North Korea is yeah. actually disgusting it and is. terrible. It it's is. a testament to their totalitarian leadership and dictatorial leader. Um, but, you know, here's my thinking. If any country can find a way to address this, perhaps it has to come from a country without a lot of hogs. Maybe they'll have more freedom to maneuver, especially since they are a dictatorship. Maybe mm. they can come up with some things that uh, that maybe we'd be able to use as something that uh, President Trump and Kim Jong-un, Un. Yeah. Un, right? He's the current one. Yep. Maybe they could talk about this at their next, uh, you know, get together. <laughs> I don't, do they have any <laughs> get togethers on the books? I'm not sure. I think they do. I want to say they were talking about it. President Trump has been tweeting favorably about Kim Jong-un recently, mm. so I feel like they will be getting together at some point to have a uh, virgin cocktail. Oh, does Kim Jong-un not drink? Uh, Trump doesn't drink. Oh, he doesn't? 
didn't nope. realize that. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah. His uh, that. his older brother, I believe, was an alcoholic, and hmm. I I think Trump has been a teetotaler since he was like twenty one or twenty two. Wow. Yeah. Kudos to President Trump. Right. Yeah. Good on him. Hmm. Uh, interesting. I. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. So we'll just have to continue to watch it. Madison, we're tasking you as our North Korean bureau chief. <laughs> you are in charge of following the North Korean hog situation. If we can get a permit, we'll send you over there. Oh, God, I don't okay. think I would want to volunteer to go. I would be scared. I mean, there's a reason we sent an intern, Delaney. Yeah, you know, I tell you what, there's not a lot of places I'm scared or, like, unwilling to go. That might be one of the only ones. Yes, Yes. Remember, it wasn't all that long ago. The American who was over there came back in a coma and yeah. shortly died. Mm-hmm. Yep. Auto warfare. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not down for that. So, <laughs> no, um, I, I have some news coming out of the CFTC, of course, the Commodity Futures Trading uh, Commission. One of their five commissioners, a, a fellow by the name of Rostin Benham came out earlier today and he was at a public meeting looking at financial risks, a broad spectrum financial risk could be anything that affects the financial markets. And he said one of the things he's most concerned about is climate change. And he said, quote, the impacts of climate change affect every aspect of the American economy, from production agriculture to commercial manufacturing and the financing of every step in each process. Um, this was in front of the CFTC's Market Risk Advisory Committee. He said that he is going to form a special committee tasked with writing a report later this year examining the threats and proposing action um, to the, quote, threat of climate change. Sounds kind of made up. Which thing? I don't know. I guess or I don't know. Are you a climate denier, Delaney No, Howell? I'm not a climate denier, and I feel like there is definitely climate change. I hate that phrase. I'm just giving you a hard time. Okay. Thanks. Nobody's. We all agree that there is climate. Nobody's a climate yeah. denier. The question is, to what impact have man's actions had on the right. climate? Right, right. And, uh, but, you know, I think he raises a point. If the climate is indeed changing, and I think it probably it is. is. It's yeah. changed. Past, it's certainly probably changing today as we talk, you know, the better handle we can have on it from a financial risk management standpoint, the better off we're all going to be. I can't imagine the CFTC is going to say we all need to start driving Nissan Leafs or, you know, burn down all the power plants. I, I figure they're probably going to be fairly uh, level headed. I can't imagine. OK, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm just going to leave it at into that. into it, Delaney, no. with your thoughts. No, I'm not. Do it. <laughs> not today. Do it. You, you stepped in it. Now you can't go ahead and nope. scrape this off your shoes quite nope. yet. It's for another day. All right. I just have one other quick piece of news, and that is we've seen the 45th state now legalize hemp as a commodity, and that is the state of Texas. So on Monday, their governor, Greg Abbott, signed it, signed a bill that cleared both the state and house unanimously and they will be able to plant for the 2020 growing season. So that'll be interesting there. Willie Nelson is super excited. (laughs) Do you know why? Why? Willie Nelson smokes a lot of weed. No, hemp, not weed. Well, but he's going to plant weed. He's going to tell everybody it's hemp. Yeah, okay. You know, he's definitely going to have some actual THC plants in that hemp crop. I'm... Don't know. I don't the have anything to say on that. Is yeah. going to mess around? Okay, redheaded stepchild. No, Willie Nelson <laughs> is the redheaded stranger. Oh, his nickname. 
you got to get more with the times. Yeah, Delaney. you know, I don't really know the sayings either. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's all I've got for today. Mike, do you want to? Madison, what other news do you have? Ah, that's all I had for today. Fantastic. I am out of news as well, except for the markets. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, challenging years call for more thinking when it comes to your marketing plan. So give our friends at Zaner a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or, as always, find them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. And always tell them you heard about it in the Ag News Daily Podcast. We've got green in the grain markets today and red in livestock. In corn, the September contract was up two cents at 438 and a quarter. December up one and a half to finish at 448 and a half. Soybeans big winner on the day. The August contract was up 18 and a half cents, closed at 884 and three quarters. November also up 18 and a half to finish at 905 and a half. Folks were back above $9. November 19 beans, if that matters for your marketing plan. In Chicago wheat, the September contract was up nine and three quarter cents at 531 even December up 10 and a quarter to close the day at 542 and a quarter. As I mentioned, a bit of a pullback today in the livestock markets. August live cattle down a dollar 62 and a half at 105.20. The October contract down a dollar 47.50 to close at 106.37 and a half. In feeder cattle, the August was down 32 and a half cents, closing at 137.80. September down 60 to finish at 138 even. And in lean hogs, mixed trade today with the July contract unchanged, finishing at 84.37.50. The August down 45 cents to close at 82.52 and a half. Jumping over to the dairy market, also saw some weakness in class three milk today with the June contract down six cents at 16.29 and the July down 14 to close the day at 16.70. Without further ado, let's jump into a discussion about forage quality and concerns with Daniel Olson. Well, weather obviously continues to be an issue, but so does forage and what to do kind of now that weather remains an issue in much of the Corn Belt and Midwest. We're chatting today with Daniel Olson, who is an independent forage specialist. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to visit. So explain to us before we get into this whole forage crisis situation what do you as an independent forage specialist do with producers and growers yeah so i work uh, primarily with with livestock producers and really uh, um very heavily into the dairy market although we do work with some uh beef uh, and and heifer growers as well but uh basically what i do is is I kind of sit in between the agronomist and the nutritionist and, and I help kind of bridge that gap, um, and, and put together forage plans, uh, uh, for dairy farmers or, or for livestock producers. And so, um, so what we usually do is start off with like, you know, what we would want to be feeding the animals. So what does an ideal ration look like? What, you know, uh, feed efficiencies, ration costs, those kind of things. Um, it, you know, so in an ideal world, what kind of forage would we have and how much of it? And then we build it out from there. And, and well, then if that's true, well, then how many acres do we need? Um, expected yields, those kind of things. And then we take into account things like nutrient management and water needs and crop rotations and harvesting and storage and all those kind of factors. 
Well, absolutely. And Daniel, so this year is anything but an ideal year for a lot of producers, especially in that eastern Corn Belt region, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, parts of Minnesota, I guess everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how... I guess what is coming into play as you take a look at your customers' needs this year, what are you seeing as the biggest challenges? Is it simply not getting enough corn in the ground for silage? Is it hay crops being, you know, completely rained on and, and seeing feed value decimated? What's the big challenge being faced this year? Well, um, <laughs> yeah, we are definitely in the, in a developing, I would call it a forage crisis. Um, and and it it really started uh it really started a few years ago um with with the financial crisis in that um a lot of bankers were telling their farmers to consider uh pulling back on their feed inventories uh so a lot of a lot of producers were keeping large amounts of of like corn silage for instance um and but on large dairies, especially those could be, you know, millions of dollars worth of worth of feed that was in inventory. And so uh, bankers were telling guys, you know, consider to pull, you know, pull those numbers down, turn that into cash. And they did. And then we um, and then last summer wasn't a great forage year. Uh, we had a really wet fall. We had some drought, actually, in some areas. And and, uh, and then um, and then. A large percentage of the alfalfa either killed or was damaged um, in really everywhere from South Dakota to New York. And so we already were setting ourselves up. We needed an amazing crop year this year um, and everything to work to really to hold status quo. And um, and then and now with the delayed spring and all the excess moisture, uh, that's just not happening. And so. You know, it's really a combination of those three things. Um, now, just recently, I would, you know, in the last week or two, forage quality is starting to become an issue as well because there's there's hay that didn't get harvested. Um, it's getting rained on. It's it's getting mature. It's it's getting uh, mud and all these other issues. Uh, so even the feed that we have might not be dairy quality. Um, to me, that's probably a lesser issue just because um, because we're probably going to end up feeding lower forage diets anyway this year because of the lack of it. And so having something that's a little more mature with more fiber is probably less of an issue than it would have been on a, on a normal year. Wow. I didn't realize it was that big of an issue over the past couple of years here. I guess that leads me to the question. So obviously there's, I think the USC reported like 15 million acres of corn that still needs to be planted. Obviously a lot of soybean acres that need to be planted. You work with guys and gals to plan their forage crop. I'm sure year, if not years yeah. in advance. Are we at a point where this becomes a viable option for some of those growers to perhaps plant forage crops this year and maybe those acres that were supposed to be corn or soybeans and maybe not going to get those crops in the ground? Uh, definitely, definitely. And, I, you know, I think, um, you know, why there's still some hesitancy is, is for one thing, uh, I don't think um, the industry right now understands kind of how severe the issue is. So, you know, because they have first crop to feed and they're just kind of limping along through the summer, um, they're still operating under the assumption that that 
that forage is worth the same as it was in 2017 or even 2018. And so when they do those budgets, um, you know, with corn silage at $35 a ton or whatever, um, some of these forage crops, you know, maybe don't look quite as attractive, but I really feel like, like that's, we're actually going to see more inflation of forage prices than we are of grain prices. I mean, corn it, commodities get so much focus because they're traded every day. You can look at them and you can say, Hey, corn came up nine cents today, you know? And so that gets everybody's attention, but forage is a lot more, um, you know, it's a lot harder to get a, a true value on it. And, and so I think, that's probably why there's been some hesitancy, but there is huge opportunities for grain farmers, for um, livestock producers to work together and, and potentially even to look at planting some, you know, cover crops on prevent plant acres and maybe even harvesting them late in the fall. Now, let's talk about that. Let's go into a little bit of detail because we do have growers right now who are beginning to make the decision to throw in the towel on some of those acres. They're throwing in the towel on some corn acres. You know, we're probably going to see them throw in the towel on some bean acres here as time goes on. This late in the season, Daniel, what are some of the more appropriate crops that you're seeing demand from on the forage side and yet can still mature and provide decent returns to the growers this late in the growing season? Yeah, so we have there's two main options um, as far as like categories. So there's warm season mix. So these are all annuals we're talking about. So there's warm season annuals and there's cool season annuals. So warm season annuals would be things like sorghum, um, sedan grass, the hybrid sorghum sedans, millet, um, and then even some legumes like cowpeas and and in forage soybeans even uh, those are things that that work in warm season crops so those would be planted here um this summer um but you know the first frost is going to terminate them and so depending on on what our harvest schedule is and and what kind of forage we're looking for you know that might not be an option um but the ups, the yield upside on the warm seasons is way higher than the cool seasons. The cool seasons, we have to wait um, till, you know, August in much of the upper Midwest and, and maybe into like, you know, Labor Day in the southern Midwest to plant those. So those would be things like annual ryegrass and forage oats and, and maybe a little bit of brassica even, depending what. Um, and those, and those cool season, um, and make a better quality feed. They have a lower fiber levels, incredibly high feed values. Um, but, you know, because we're running into a time factor in the fall, we don't have quite the yield potential. So, you know, we're looking at maybe two to three tons dry matter on a crop like that per acre, whereas a warm season crop, you know, we still have the potential to grow five or six tons of dry matter uh, yet this year per acre um, on a warm season uh forage crop. Daniel, it sounds like if I'm a, a row crop producer, I maybe have, you know, some other options here this year. But if I'm a livestock producer and I hear the word forage crisis, I'm starting to get a little nervous. If if we do, and I'm, we have quite a few livestock guys and gals that listen to the podcast, what should they be doing to prepare themselves? Are they going to expect a huge increase or inflation in, in prices that they're paying for feed needs? 
Yeah. So, um, so there's, there's a couple things. One, um, I think we can expect to see byproducts uh, go up dramatically in price, probably more so than, than corn and beans. So anything that can be used as a forage substitute, like um, soy hulls or corn gluten, uh, cottonseed, uh, beet pulp, citrus pulp, almond hulls, <laughs> you know, any of those kind of byproducts, those are things that are going to go up dramatically in price. When we get out to you know, November, December is probably when it's really going to start hitting. Um, when guys get all their silage off and they're, and realize that it only yielded 60% of what they thought it was, it should have, things like that. That's when things are going to get real. And so, yeah, the sooner you can, you can either purchase those or lock them up, um, the, you know, the better. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, I work with dairy farms in 20-some states, and, and farms in different places of the country feed animals very differently. Like, if we work with, like, California dairies, they feed very low forage diets um, it, because land is so expensive and forages are are expensive. And so they feed a lot of byproducts, higher concentrate diets in California. Um, and then the, the forage that they do feed, though, is very high in fiber. We actually would hardly consider it dairy quality feed in much of like the Midwest, but it's what makes those rations work. And so honestly, our, our goals in our forage, if we're going to have to feed a little lower forage diets, the goal of, of the forage type and quality is probably going to be different um, this year than it would be in other years. Interesting. Now, Daniel, before we let you go, you mentioned how this could be a year that we see livestock and grain producers kind of bridge that gap and find ways to lock in some things that work for both parties. How should livestock producers, producers go about having that conversation with a row crop farming neighbor? Can you just call them up and say, hey, you want to contract grow some sorghum sedan grass for me? Or, yeah, or what do you think? Yeah. So there's there's a number of, of things that are being done out there um, that I, I have my farms that are, are working with, with growers. Um, most grain farmers uh, aren't familiar with forages and don't really aren't really comfortable working with them. They don't have equipment, etc. So it a lot of them it's more or less they're just signing off and, and um, the the grain farm or the, the livestock producer is, is offering to pick up their rent tab for the year or something like that in exchange for, um, or they're putting some sort of minimum guarantee. So the livestock producer is taking on some sort of risk in that scenario. I have, uh, I have one uh, dairy in Minnesota that's actually offering to buy out uh, prevent plant acres uh, on soybean ground. Um, so basically they're, they're playing the ground. And, and, and so then it doesn't affect his, his uh his base that like if you would have took the prevent plant so it doesn't negatively affect the grain farmer that way um it also keeps a crop growing there which i i don't know if anybody really knows what's going to be in this next round of bailouts but if i it on i'm under the assumption that if you take prevent plant um you might not be able to benefit from that um so there's it it, it keeps some opportunities still there for the um, for the grain farmer to maybe recoup some of his his expense, and yet there's an opportunity to still grow, you know, maybe six tons of forage of dry matter per acre yet this year for the uh, for the livestock producer, and um, and so yeah, the, 
the big thing in this whole deal is is like what is forage going to be worth um you know eight months from now and i don't know that anybody really knows but my personal feeling is that almost any budget that's out there is being way too conservative i mean this spring we saw he on like he uh markets in may april in may spike up to four or five hundred dollars a ton for you know on small lot big square bales and i and I kind of feel like um like that could happen in january February in two thousand twenty versus april may um where it just it's just not out there, and so the prices go dramatically higher so mm. um so yeah any way that that we can uh any way that we can protect ourselves, be aggressive in solving this problem in June or July versus waiting till next December. I think, uh, I think that's a, a smart move. Wow. Well, this will be something to definitely watch here over the next year or two years or so. Daniel, before we let you go, are you active on social media? And if so, if our listeners yeah. have some questions, where can they head? Yeah. So I do, uh, I do uh, daily videos on my personal uh, Facebook page. Um, and you can actually search in the search bar uh, using hashtag uh, today's thoughts. So you'll see most of those. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, find me on Facebook, um, and I'd uh, be glad to visit. So. Well, Daniel, thank you again so much. Okay, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Well, huge thanks to Daniel. A lot of thought-provoking things there coming out of probably the most challenging growing season that a lot of growers have seen in their lifetimes. And now we're looking ahead to what could be the most challenging winter for a lot of livestock producers dealing with this forage shortage. I Say that three times fast, Delaney. Forage shortage? Yeah, three times fast. I can't. Forage shortage. Forage. Nope, I'm already done. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't be done. I tell you what, folks, if you want to hear us at other simple tasks, check out our past episodes. You can do that at the website at agnewsdaily.com. That'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. Or you can always tweet at us and find us on Facebook. Just search for the uh, at Ag News Daily. Sorry, I drew a complete blank there. I was busy promoting the Global Ag Network. Find us at Ag News Daily on any place you get your social media jollies. Um, I don't know. With that guy, should we let the people go? <laughs> Let's let him go. 